Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. Very grateful to you for tuning into this episode of the program. And now listen, I understand something. Our routines have been upended. You, if you're listening to this program, are likely listening to it under different circumstances. Maybe you're usually in your car. That's where so many folks listen to the radio I know. Or maybe in your workplace or maybe somewhere else. But now uh, there's a high likelihood that uh, you are at home. Everything's uh, different now. Uh, I'll tell you what, it's certainly different for me. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear uh, under what circumstances you're listening to the program today. And also, while I've got your attention, if there's anything uh, you'd like added to this program, if there are any questions about this coronavirus deal or anything else, uh, would you send me a text message? Please use the Utah Community Credit Union text line. It's 57500. Again, 57500. Just shoot me a quick text. Let me know uh, what you're doing and under what circumstance you're listening to the program today. Uh, and if there's anything you'd like added uh, to our research in the morning, something uh, you'd like me talking about. Let's uh, go back in time for a little bit. Seemingly uh, years and years and years ago. When there were a few folks running for president, you remember, remember, remember that guy, Joe Biden, former vice president. Now, there's a senator too, Bernie Sanders. He's running for president and they've been competing against each other for uh, a little while now. This coronavirus has certainly distracted from uh, the attention we were paying that race. Remember, there were debates and such, and uh, folks like Scott Howell and I would join together here on these airwaves and we'd talk about it. Uh, well, then the pandemic struck. Well, that doesn't mean that that presidential race uh, has come to a halt. In fact, uh, Joe Biden uh, and Bernie Sanders, uh, they continue to campaign. There was some question as to whether or not Bernie Sanders would continue his campaign. A lot of indicators uh, telling me, at least, that uh, he will be uh, officially bringing that campaign to an end, uh, essentially giving way to Joe Biden to receive his party's nomination. Uh, Joe Biden is absolutely the mathematical frontrunner on the Democratic side, having gained more uh, delegates than anyone else. And it has reached a point where he has earned himself uh, Secret Service protection. If you remember, uh, we, you and I chatted a, a few weeks ago about uh, a rally he hosted and where in the midst of his delivery of remarks, uh, there were a pair of women that rushed the stage. Now, uh, if Secret Service is involved, that type of stuff doesn't happen. But uh, Secret Service was not yet involved. And the first person to take action and protect Joe Biden from uh, this onrushing intruder uh, was Jill Biden, his wife. Her instinct, as I uh, talked about at length, a very good and noble and wonderful instinct, uh, her instinct was to protect. She put her own body and her own safety in between herself rather, uh, in between uh, her husband and the approaching danger. The sec second uh, character in that was uh, Simone Sanders, communications director for the Joe Biden for President campaign. She, man, uh, she uh, wrapped up that protester in her arms, picked her up and carried her off stage. 
uh, it was a pretty fascinating thing. It was an inspiring thing uh, for those women to so quickly take action and uh, protect uh, Joe Biden. Now, with that said, uh, that is typically the job of Secret Service. And uh, Joe Biden, former vice president, turns out a, a vice president, an outgoing vice president, is entitled to Secret Service protection for only the first 30 days after the uh, end of their administration. And so Joe Biden, for some time, has been without Secret Service protection until now. I've invited onto the program someone uh, I haven't spoken to in a long time. In fact, if you remember, uh, years and years ago, I used to work for uh, Doug Wright, and there was a question about the Secret Service, how they operated, and uh, how they uh, responded to, to various circumstances, shifting circumstances. And we reached out to a Utah, a former Secret Service agent himself, spent 30 years in the U.S. Secret Service. Uh, and I spoke to him years and years ago, and uh, I'm privileged enough to speak to him again. Dennis Crandall joins us on the program. Mr. Crandall, uh, sir, I'm grateful to you for joining us on the program today. How are you? Very well. How are you, Lee? Uh, I'm doing all right, sir. Uh, let me ask you first and foremost, talk to us a little bit about uh, uh, the 30 years you served as a member of the Secret Service. I know it's unfair to, to cram a, a resume of 30-some years uh, into just the few moments we have to, to, to chat with one another, but uh, tell us some of the highlights. Who did you protect over the years? Well, uh, I started in, in the Los Angeles field office, and I was there for four years. And uh, I was an agent in the field with the criminal agenda. We would have a lot of visits from President Nixon coming to San Clemente and the Vice President Agnew coming to uh, Palm Springs. And uh, we had a lot of foreign dignitaries. In 1971, the Secret Service picked up the task of protecting visiting heads of state and foreign dignitaries. So we had some very prominent ones, including the Israelis, Abi Ibn, Moshe Dayan, and uh, Golda Meir. And those were high-threat uh, protectees. So, so that was interesting. In 74, I was transferred to the vice president's details, and uh, the vice president, Ford, Gerald Ford, was then the vice president. And uh, about six weeks later, that was right at the peak of Watergate, he became the president. So I spent two years with Nelson Rockefeller, then two years with Walter Mondale. And uh, back to Salt Lake, then back to Los Angeles, then to the Reagan Western White House, the ranch, and his grown children, uh, Maureen and Michael. Then I was transferred to London, where I was a uh, resident, resident agent and attaché representing the Secret Service to New Scotland Yard and the, the police in the United Kingdom. And then I uh, finished up my career in Salt Lake as the boss of the small office we have, uh, have here in Salt Lake. So that was a, that was a, a quick <laughs> overview of my resume. I was involved <laughs> in two campaigns, like we're talking about right now, uh, with then-George Bush 41, George Bush Sr., when he was a candidate in 1980, and uh, prior to that, in, with Edmund Muskie in 1972, so that goes way back. The, the, the nature of threats certainly changes as time goes on, but, uh, but the ultimate job remains the same, to protect the principal. And uh, I wonder if you could talk to us a little bit about specifically uh, about these candidates uh, and what, what are the circumstances that trigger uh, the, the need uh, or the ability for Secret Service to step in and, uh, and protect a, a candidate, as is the case now for Vice President Joe Biden. Well, there's a there's several criteria, and Joe Biden has easily easily reached that with the, the momentum that he's developed in the delegates and the uh, the victories that he's in, uh, had nationwide. So he qualifies for protection, as does Bernie Sanders. 
Joe Biden, as you mentioned with the, the demonstrators recently and, and the momentum of his campaign, uh, has finally reached out and said, I think it's time for let's put the Secret Service in place. And there is a detail now working with Joe Biden. And uh, uh, these are ad hoc details. They make up every four years. They draw from agents in the field and have supervisors that have had protective experience. And, and they're actually, they're kind of fun. This rolls around every four years, and it gives some of the new agents some experience. And from those candidate details, they pick agents for the larger details. And uh, it, it, the campaign is kind of a an institution that happens every four years. And uh, some of them are interesting and uh, challenging. And uh, it's but we just put a detail together and and uh, appropriate for that level of of threat. So that's that's the way it works. Sure. Outstanding. Uh, Dennis Crandall has been uh, my guest, spent 30 years in the U.S. Secret Service from 1970 to 2000. And today we've been speaking uh, about a change in the Joe Biden campaign, which is now uh, the former vice president qualifies for Secret Service protection. And as he uh, continues on in his quest to seek the Democratic nomination uh, for president, uh, he will be protected by the Secret Service. Mr. Crandall, I am grateful to you for joining us. Thank you for making time uh, and taking it out of your day to to give us and share with us a little bit of your expertise. Absolutely. Thank you. All right, sir. We'll speak again, uh, I'm sure, someday. Uh, Next up, we're going to be speaking to a candidate, uh, not for president, uh, but rather attorney general here in the state of Utah. Greg Scordis is a name uh, you are well familiar with, a voice you have heard often on these airwaves. Well, he has thrown his hat in the ring, and we are going to kick off in the next segment uh, a conversation we'll have each day with various candidates running for Uh, the position of attorney general here in the state of Utah. Greg Scordas, candidate for attorney general. My guest next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio.